Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast you've ever heard of. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 18. It's kind of cool to watch someone's personality form like this. He has a sarcastic and bitter sense of humor now. And I'm shipping Rose and Philip. In case you don't know what shipping means, uh, which I didn't until relatively recently, um, it means you want them to hook up. You're rooting for those two characters to become a couple. Although I don't think Philip is actually homosexual. It just very much seems like it when you see these two young boys kind of so smitten with each other. It's kind of cute. Um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list where you can support the podcast for one dollar a month or more if you're feeling generous. Um, the other thing I would encourage you to have a look at would be um, my website because I've just redone it. Andalewis.com www.andalewis A-N-D-E-R-L-O-U-I-S dot com uh, let me know what you think. I, I did a little do-over, a little, a little makeover. I kind of realized that when you landed on my homepage, you were at minimum three clicks away from actually reading something that I'd written. And I thought that's a bit of an oversight, really, when it's a writer's homepage. So I changed it up, and I think it looks pretty cool. All right. Uh, Swim said the moment fishy said, per Wikipedia, young M himself, the author, developed a talent for making wounding remarks to those who displeased him. Well, it's not surprising, is it? Um, I mean, in young Philip's case, that he's he's gone that way. It's a defense mechanism, um, and could be a lot worse. You know, he makes he makes snide, kind of humorous, witty comebacks. It seems, and uh, you know, in a in a boarding school kind of all male. Uh, environment that being able to stand up for yourself and kind of jab back actually can you know can be a survival tactic and it can actually win your friends um if someone dishes it out to you and you dish it back i don't know you know how it works between young women but among young men you know that that actually kind of can be the start of mutual respect um, although it is described that his comments do hurt the feelings of other people, so maybe he's gone too far with that. Maybe he's, um, his biting back has, has gone a little bit haywire and he doesn't quite know where to stop. I think, you know, it's pretty forgivable, I would say. The poor boy's been the victim of such torment. He learned to, to, you know, to bite back and, and now he might be biting back a bit too hard. Fix the Blue said, I thought it was a little sad to hear that Philip had become somewhat arrogant and unlikable. It's nice that he has a good pal in Rose, even if Rose flaked on him. I hope Rose's niceness or and forgiving nature rubs off on Philip. You called it, I am Norwegian. His faith just doesn't run deep enough and is dropping off again. I am excited about this book again after feeling it was a little chory. The last few chapters possibly didn't help that I was away for the weekend. Yeah, this chapter was good, wasn't it? It it brought it back to um, its former 
glory <laughs> or its former readability I should say a um, couple of dry chapters there but I don't know I think if, if that's the ratio if, if every like 14th chapter is a bit dry uh, yeah this I can get through that I can deal with that um, or oh, actually it was two chapters wasn't it or three anyway still decent ratio Fix the Blue also says, enjoy your beers, Ander. Will be a while till I can have one again, lol. Um, yeah. Hey, that makes me feel like a beer. I'm going to get a beer. Hang tight for one moment. I'm not going to edit out the silence. You guys can just enjoy your thoughts. You know, talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. gone with an Asahi. Fix the blue. Cheers. I'll have this on your behalf seeing as you can't for the next few months by the uh, sounds of things. Ooh, it always goes down smooth. Okay, Entripper. I think it's a new name. Welcome Entripper to the subreddit if it is a new name. It is indeed. Just jumping in here as a first-time commenter. Welcome. I like the depth Philip's intellectual arrogance and bitter humour give his character. It feels like he's developing layers. The lack of regret, or simply lack of understanding for the hurt he causes, is interesting in light of his once lofty religious aspirations. One might suspect that those desires were toward God only and not his fellow man, no wonder to my mind that they were shallow and short-lived despite their intensity. Love of God goes hand in hand with love of man. I predict his fellowship, sorry, his friendship with Rose will be relatively short, but it's a welcome change from the poor friendless boy storyline. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, um... I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like he's a bad guy because he's making sarcastic remarks at people. I think um, just the kind of guy who stands up for himself. You know, maybe stands up to himself to the point where he's hurting other people's feelings. But um, I don't know what. Gave, I can't remember what it said exactly, but it gave me the impression that it was he. He did it as retaliation. You know, he did it in defence. Um, so if someone. Um, you know, makes a comment to you and then you defend yourself and they end up hurt. Hey, fair's fair. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think his, his faith is, um, being tested or, um, no, not being tested. It's, it's, um, being eroded, let's say. Uh, I am Norwegian says, hey, we're back to good chapters again. This chapter felt incredibly relate- relatable, even though I'm not very f- very similar to Philip at all. 
The dialogue is comically British, which stands in stark contrast to the otherwise clean and sharp writing. Yeah, when uh, Rose spoke, it was comically British, and I really liked it. If I sound like I'm out of breath, it's because I've just done... I've just gotten off my um, elliptical machine, like two minutes before I started the podcast, which is probably why I was craving that beer so much. Um, So I'm, I'm actually still kind of out of breath, which is why I keep pausing to take in deep breaths. need to get fitter i mean that's exactly what i'm doing on the elliptical machine but hurry up (laughs) um sour patch and popcorn said very relatable chapter the author is clearly a friggin artist when it comes to this stuff (laughs) so much so that it is natural to appreciate this book as semi-autobiographical the way philip views his male relationships almost smells of budding homosexuality (laughs) sorry I don't want to know what that smells like. It was what popped into my head. Uh, Do I already sense an intense codependency between Philip and Rose? Jan Brunt said, I'm shipping them too. The chapter really brought back the heady feeling of a first crush. It brought back for me um, kind of, I know that feeling of when you make friends with someone who you kind of idolize, you know, and um, you really look up to this, this friend uh, you kind of feel like you're hanging out with a celebrity. I remember that in primary school when, like, the cool guy, you know, threw me a rope, so to speak. It is very relatable indeed. He does, he is a friggin' artist, as Sour Patch and Popcorn said, when it comes to relatability. Um, and I mean, hey, he is an artist. Writing is an art, I believe. All right, note to self, next time wait 10 minutes between doing a workout and recording a podcast. <laughs> Let's see how we go reading chapter 19 with um, my lungs screaming at me for oxygen. Chapter ni- 19 goes like this. At first, Philip had been too grateful for Rose's friendship to make any demands on him. He took things as they came and enjoyed life, but presently he began to resent Rose's universal amiability. He wanted a more exclusive attachment, and he claimed as a right what before he had accepted as a favour. He watched jealously Rose's companionship with others, and though he knew it was unreasonable, could not help sometimes saying bitter things to him. If Rose spent an hour playing the fool in another study, Philip would receive him when he returned to his own with a sullen frown. He would sulk for a day, and he suffered more because Rose either did not notice his ill humour or deliberately ignored it. Not seldom Philip, knowing all the time he how stupid he was, would force not what? Not seldom Philip not seldom not seldom Philip, knowing all the time how stupid he was, would force a qu- oh my god, that is the worst structured sentence. I've ever heard. Not seldom, Philip, knowing all the time how stupid he was, would force a quarrel and they would not speak to one another for a couple of days. But Philip could not bear to be angry with him long, and even when convinced that he was in the right, would apologise humbly. Then for a week they would be as great friends as ever. But the best was over, and Philip could see that Rose often walked with him merely from old habit or from fear of his anger. 
They had not so much to say to one another as at first, and Rose was often bored. Philip felt that his lameness began to irritate him. Towards the end of the term, two or three boys caught scarlet fever, and there was much talk of sending them all home in order to escape an epidemic. But the sufferers were isolated, and since no more were attacked, it was supposed that the outbreak was stopped. One of the stricken was Philip. He remained in hospital through the Easter holidays, and at the beginning of the summer term was sent home to the vicarage to get a little fresh air. The vicar, notwithstanding medical assurance that the boy was no longer infectious, received him with suspicion. He thought it very inconsiderate of the doctor to suggest that his nephew's convalescence should be spent by the seaside, and consented to have him in the house only because there was nowhere else he could go. Philip went back to school at half-term. He had forgotten the quarrels he had had with Rose, but remembered only that he was his greatest friend. He knew that he had been silly. He made up his mind to be more reasonable. During his illness, Rose had sent him in a couple of little notes, and he had ended each with the words, hurry up and come back. Philip thought Rose must be looking forward as much to his return as he was himself to seeing Rose. He found that owing to the death from Scarlet fever of one of the boys in the six, there had been some shifting in the studies, and Rose was no longer in his. It was a bitter disappointment, but as soon as he arrived he burst into Rose's study. Rose was sitting at a desk, working with a boy called Hunter, and turned around crossly as Philip came in. Who the devil's that, he cried. And then, seeing Philip, oh, it's you. Philip stopped in embarrassment. I thought I'd come in and see how you were. We were just working. Hunter broke into the conversation. When did you get back? Five minutes ago. They sat and looked at him as though he was disturbing them. They evidently expected him to go quickly. Philip reddened. I'll be off. You might look in when you've done, he said to Rose. All right. Philip closed the door behind him and limped back to his own study. He felt frightfully hurt. Rose, far from seeing glad, seeming glad to see him, had almost looked put out. They might never have been more than acquaintances. Though he waited in his study, not leaving it for a moment in case just then Rose should come, his friend never appeared, and next morning when he went in to prayers, he saw Rose and Hunter singing along arm in arm. What he could not see for himself, others told him. He had forgotten that three months is a long time in a schoolboy's life, and though he had passed them in solitude, Rose had lived in the world. Hunter had stepped into the vacant place. Philip found that Rose was quietly avoiding him, but he was not the boy to accept a situation without putting it into words. He waited till he was sure Rose was alone in his study and he went in. May I come in? he asked. Rose looked at him with an embarrassment that made him angry with Philip. Yes, if you want to. It's very kind of you, said Philip sarcastically. What do you want? I say, why have you been so rotten since I came back? Oh, don't be an ass, said Rose. I don't know what you see in Hunter. That's my business. Philip looked down. He could not bring himself to say what was in his heart. He was afraid of humiliating himself. Rose got up. I've got to go to the gym, he said. When he was at the door, Philip forced himself to speak. I say, Rose, don't be a perfect beast. Oh, go to hell. 
Rose slammed the door behind him and left Philip alone. Philip shivered with rage. He went back to his study and turned the conversation over in his mind. He hated Rose now. He wanted to hurt him. He thought of biting things he might have said. He thought of biting things he might have said to him. He brooded over the end of their friendship and fancied that others were talking of it. In his sensitiveness, he saw sneers and wanderings in other fellows' manner when they were not bothering their heads with him at all. He imagined to himself what they were saying. After all, it wasn't likely to last long. I wonder he ever stuck Carey at all, blighter. To show his indifference, he struck up a violent friendship with a boy called Sharp, whom he hated and despised. He was a London boy with a loutish air, a heavy fellow with the beginnings of a moustache on his lip and bushy eyebrows that joined one another across the bridge of his nose. He had soft hands and manners too suave for his years. He spoke with the suspicion of a cockney accent. He was one of those boys who are too slack to play games, and he exercised great ingenuity in making excuses to avoid such as were compulsory. He was regarded by boys and masters with a vague dislike, and it was from arrogance that Philip now sought his society. Sharp, in a couple of terms, was going to Germany for a year. He hated school, which he looked upon as an indignity to be endured, till he was old enough to go out into the world. London was all he cared for, and he had many stories to tell of his doings there during the holidays. From his conversation, he spoke in a soft, deep-toned voice, there emerged the vague rumour of the London streets by night. Philip listened to him at once, fascinated and repelled. With his vivid fancy, he seemed to see the surging throng round the pit door of theatres and the glitter of cheap restaurants, bars where men, half drunk, sat on high stools talking with barmaids, and under the street lamps, the mysterious passings of dark crowds bent upon pleasure. Sharp lent him cheap novels from Hollywell Row, which Philip read in his cubicle with a sort of wonderful fear. Once Rose tried to effect a reconciliation, he was a good-natured fellow who did not like having enemies. I say, Kerry, why are you being such a silly ass? It doesn't do you any good cutting me and all that. I don't know what you mean, answered Philip. Well, I don't see why you shouldn't talk. You bore me, said Philip. Please yourself. Rose shrugged his shoulders and left him. Philip was very white, as he always became when he was moved and his heart beat violently. When Rose went away, he felt suddenly sick with misery. He did not know why he had answered in that fashion. He would have given anything to be friends with Rose. He hated to have quarrelled with him, and now that he saw he had given him pain, he was very sorry. But at the moment he had not been master of himself. It seemed that some devil had seized him, forcing him to say bitter things against his will, even though at the time he wanted to shake hands with Rose and meet him more than halfway. The desire to wound had been too strong for him. He had wanted to revenge himself for the pain and the humiliation he had endured. It was pride. It was folly, too, for he knew that Rose would not care at all, while he would suffer bitterly. The thought came to him that he would go to Rose and say, I say, I'm sorry, I was such a beast, I couldn't help it, let's make it up. But he knew he would never be able to do it. He was afraid that Rose would sneer at him, 
He was angry with himself, and when Sharp came in a little while afterwards, he seized upon the first opportunity to quarrel with him. Philip had a fiendish instinct for discovering other people's raw spots, and was able to say things that rankled because they were true, but Sharp had the last word. I heard Rose talking to you to Mallor just now. I heard Rose talking about you to Mallor just now, he said. Mallor said, why don't you kick him? It would teach him manners, and Rose said, I didn't like to, damned cripple, damned cripple. Philip suddenly became scarlet. He could not answer, for there was a lump in his throat that almost choked him. All right, there we go. There's another chapter down for you. Don't forget it. Check out my website, andrewlewis.com. Or um, don't. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening. I will see you soon tomorrow.